Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 through 32, uh, the word comes to us saying, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. I want to talk today from this thought. You can change your world. Look at somebody and say, neighbor, you can change your world. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. You can change your world. Quite often, over my years in ministry, I experienced personally and observed in other believers a sort of dilemma, if you will. This dilemma is one of which we do not often speak, but it tends to linger on the outskirts of our minds, only being pushed to the forefront when we recognize the enormity of taking the gospel to a world that rejects Christ. What is this dilemma? It is simply this. How can I, one believer, make any significant impact in this world for the cause of Christ? Many believers, my brothers and sisters, wrestle with the idea and truth that as individuals, we can only do so much. We often feel guilty that we cannot find more time for doing that which advances the cause of Christ. I mean, between work, rearing a family, and just the everyday hustle and bustle of modern living, we cannot seem to fit in much time for kingdom work. Do I have a witness there? We become frustrated on several fronts. Our priorities are under constant review. And for many of us, the guilt factor is at an all-time high. We even find our minds pondering such things as, how can God expect little old me, just little insignificant me, just little tiny me, one out of six billion people on earth, one out of three billion Christians, just little old me. How can God expect me to do anything? I'm just one person. Doesn't God know that this world is so sinful that one person cannot really make a difference. 
There's always too much to do and not enough time or energy to do it. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Just throw your hand up real fast. Don't let anybody see it. Everybody knows that you, you're holy and saved now. We don't want them to think anything different. Amen. Have you been there? It's just not enough time. Too much going on. Every time we make a decision that this will be the year that I commit myself to the Lord. This will be the day that I get involved in ministry. This will be the ministry that I choose to work in. It always seemed like something comes up. Isn't that right? I mean, for married folks, it's, as soon as I choose to get involved in ministry, my spouse lose their mind. <laughs> Parents, as soon as I say I'm going to work, my kids go crazy. It's always something that seems to, to, to get in our ways. For working people, the job comes in and says, hey, I'm going to pay you X number of dollars more, and you're going to have more work, and you're going to make more money. And you are thinking, if I do this, I'm not going to have time. For ministry, there's always too much to do and not enough time or energy to do it. Because you know we love our rest, don't we? <laughs> Amen. Amen. We, we read that part in the Bible where it says, on the seventh day you shall rest. We forgot a little bit about the six days shall you labor, but <laughs> we did get the rest part right. <laughs> Amen. We love our rest. So, so I, I know there have been there were times in my life when I felt the enormity of the burden pressing down against the minuteness and, and seemingly insignificance of my life and my ability, yet it soon became apparent to me that I was only viewing this from my perspective and perhaps not from God's perspective. I was seeing my world only as a part of a, of a, a world looking as one minute person looking out over a big world but God sees the world quite differently. When you're God, you look at the minuteness of the world in connection or in comparison to your bigness. Amen. So God is not impressed by the fact that there are six billion people on earth. He made every one of them. Come on, somebody here ought to say something. That's right. He's not, he's not impressed by the fact that three-fourths of the world's surface is covered by water. God is the one that said, I'm saying that the land and the water separate. And he said, let there be and there was. God is not impressed by anything in our world. Somebody ought to give God praise right there. That's right, that's right. By the way, that does include even your giftedness. <laughs> God is not impressed with our giftedness. He's not impressed with the eloquence of our speech. He's not impressed with how much we know. I mean, imagine being God and you know everything at the same time. And you think one person is trying to impress you with their knowledge. God's not impressed. Stephen Hawking is a smart man, but he doesn't impress God. Is that right? PhDs, wonderful thing to get. Doctoral degrees, wonderful. But none of that impresses God. So therefore, when we look at this text, let us note how our Lord Jesus shares 
a parable that sheds tremendous and much needed light upon our dilemma, upon our dilemma. How do we affect the world, just one person? How do I change my world? Now, like with all parables, the purpose of the parable of the mustard seed is to teach a concept or a big ideal using elements or details like birds, weeds, and growth that are common, easily recognized, and usually representational of something else. Now, while the elements themselves do have importance and overemphasis on the details or literal focus on an element usually leads to interpretive errors and missing the main point of the parable. One of the possible practical reasons that Jesus used parables is that parables teach a concept or idea by using word pictures. By depicting concepts, the message is not readily lost to changes in word usage, uh, technology, cultural context, or the passage of time as easily as it might be with a literal and detailed narrative. 2,000 years later, let me say it like this, 2,000 years later, since Jesus spoke this, we can still understand concepts like sameness, growth, the presence of evil influence, etc. This approach also promotes practicing principles rather than the inflexible adherence to laws. So Jesus is teaching us principles by which we can readily put into practice as believers. Further emphasis on a singular point is given when multiple parables are given consecutively on the same subject, as is the case with the parable of the mustard seed. So you have a section of scripture where Jesus is giving us multiple parables and they all have the same general point. The parable of the mustard seed is contained in all three of the synoptic gospels. Those are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of the synoptic gospels. However, the gospel of Matthew provides us with the most peripheral information as it includes one parable before and one after the mustard seed parable, each teaching on the same subject. Each of the three parables, the weeds among the wheat, the mustard seed, and the yeast, parable of the yeast, have six common elements in them providing structure which helps us to interpret the individual parables. The common elements are these. Number one, uh, uh, they have a similitude about the kingdom of heaven. So each of them say the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay. Number two, they, they all have in them something that says a man. Okay. And that man represents Christ. Number three, they all have, have the words a field, and that field represents the world. Number four, they deal with a seed, the word of God, or its effect. Number five, growth or spreading or church growth. And number six, they deal with the presence of evil, evil symbolized by weeds, birds of the air, and yeast in some cases. 
before we delve into the meaning of this parable, let us, brothers and sisters, consider some of the important facts about the mustard seed. This may give us some idea as to why after 2,000 plus years, the mustard seed analogy still impacts our theological mindset in a tremendous manner. Here's some things you may not, may or may not know about mustard seeds. Mustard seeds are the small round seeds of various mustard plants. The second thing about a mustard seed, the seeds are usually about one to two millimeters. That's 39 one hundredths to 79 one hundredths of an inch. Now imagine how small that is. This is about an inch. Now think of 79 one hundredths of an inch and you have the size of a mustard seed. And many of us can remember when Jesus said to his disciples, if you have faith, somebody getting delivered right here, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to the mountain, be ye removed into the sea, and the mountain would be moved if you had 79 one-hundredths of an inch of faith. Somebody getting set free right there. That's right. This, here's another thing about mustard seeds. This is interesting here because the seeds may be colored from yellowish white to black. You have different types of mustard seeds. And, and, and here, here's something else. Number four thing about the mustard seed, they are important herbs in many regional foods and may come from one of three different plants. Now watch this. You've got the black mustard, the brown Indian mustard, and the white mustard. How about the mustard seed is multicultural and multi-ethnic? I'm just, I'm just saying. I just, I threw that in for free. That's a, <laughs> and so, and so the mustard seed comes in all different colors, and they all the same size, and they all produce the same effect. You, you also may not know that Canada grows the most mustard. Our neighbor to the north, I know you don't think about Canada, Canada a lot. It's like, kind of like the attic of the United States. You just, you know, just go up there when it's necessary. But, but Canada grows the most mustard. So here, the parable of the mustard seed was taught in a, in a literary style that we call rhetorical hyperbole. Hyperbole is a figure of speech in which exaggeration is used for emphasis or effect. Now, let me tell you how you use hyperbole all the time. You have to say something like, boy, I could sleep all week, or I could sleep for a month. I could sleep for, you can't really sleep that long. You're trying to impress us with how tired you are. Right? So your other thing says, uh, you go and pick up a, a big heavy book, and you say, this book weighs a ton. It doesn't literally weigh a ton. You're trying to share that this book is very heavy. Okay? So, so, so hyperbole and exaggeration is something we use all the time for an effect. I used to say to my father, I'm, I'm hungry as a horse. And, and I don't think he thought I was using hyperbole. He probably literally thought, based on how much I, eat, I ate growing up, that I literally could eat like a horse. <laughs> Amen. So that's, that's, that's what, he, what he thought. So, so hyperbole just gives us emphasis. 
gives us effect. Now, there are three major emphasis in this parable that teach us, teach us how we as believers, even individually, even little old you, look at somebody and say little old you, just little old you, even little old you, how you can effectively change your world for the kingdom. Here it is. Here it is. Here's the first thing you got to get when, out, of this, out of this parable. Here it is right here. It's okay to be a seed. Look at somebody and tell them it's okay to be a seed. It's okay. It's okay to be a seed. See, many times we want to start off as the tree. Somebody just got set free right there. Well, God is moving in this place. You know, we want to be the tree, but it's okay to be a seed. Now, what do we know about this? So Jesus starts the parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. So what do we know about seeds? Now, if you're not a gardener, or farmer, or somehow involved in the horticulture industry or the agricultural industry, it's likely that you seldom think about seeds. I mean, who eats a sandwich? One that you've been thinking about all day long, whether it be Subway or something you made at home. Who eats that sandwich and you pause to ponder the seed from which brings us wheat that ultimately becomes the flour from which we make our bread? We don't think about seeds. Here's another thing. Seeds are put in a place where there is little light. So they must do what they do in a dark place. Somebody getting that, aren't you? They, the, the seed doesn't have a little light. Seeds are deliberately put in the ground, surrounded by soil and dirt, not much light. Seeds go into a place of darkness to do that magic that they do. Seeds go into a dark place to work their work. Here's another thing about seeds. Seeds have the ability to extract the needed moisture and nutrients from their environment in order to produce. Yes, you put that seed in the ground in a dark place and somehow the seed finds the nutrients and the water in order to survive in a place of darkness. Somebody just got set free. God has put you in a dark place but has given you the ability to find the nutrients in order to survive. We can make it in a dark place. Jesus said it like this. He said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. But he tells us, don't worry because I'm giving you another comforter of the same kind. And and you are becoming my seeds. And when you are in the world, he says this in Matthew, he says, you are the light of the world. And so here's another thing. 
about seeds. Seeds do not require an audience in order to do what they do. Seeds get their work done in private. You don't ever see a seed saying, I'm not going to grow till somebody notices me. Huh? I, I'm, I'm not going to do what I do until somebody's paying attention to me. Seeds work without an audience. Here's another thing about seeds. Seeds already have in them that which is necessary to produce. They are coded. They are coded by another and place their effort in producing only what they are intended to produce. You don't ever see an apple seed talking about I'm going to make oranges. Do you? No, you don't. You don't see you don't see a lemon seed saying I want to be a pear. Whatever is coded in the seed, they produce based on what somebody else made them to be. Come on seeds, help me here. Someone see where this is going. God has chosen you as a seed. And because he didn't make you apple seed, you sitting there pouting. I don't want to be an orange. Oranges don't have any fun. Nobody pays attention to the orange. Not realizing that what God has made you to be is incredibly necessary for the nutrients of the body of Christ, for the nutrition of his body. He has made you to be specifically who you are. Watch this now. The last thing I'll tell you about seeds. Seeds understand they have to die to themselves in order for something else to live. Seeds have in their code this belief that self-sacrifice will produce life. In effect, if I die as a seed, it's going to produce life for something else. Here's what, here's what Jesus said in John 12, 24. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it should die, Hallelujah. It bears much fruit. Maybe the reason you're a lonely Christian because you're still trying to live to yourself. That's going to catch up with you when you get home. (laughs) Maybe, just maybe, the reason you feel so isolated is because you have not yet died to yourself when you die to yourself you get surrounded by much fruit and so you have to die as a seed I knew it wasn't going to be no amens on that when I just pastor you was doing good till you started talking about me dying I, I'm trying to live <laughs> I mean die to yourself 
die to who you were. Stop trying to bring your BC into your AC. Stop trying to bring your before Christ into your after Christ. We're trying to drag the old person that we were. We want to take it everywhere we go. You would think somebody's crazy. They walk down the street, got a dead body with them. That person is nuts. Look at that. They're dragging a skeleton, a dead body. They're dragging up and down the street. Well, Paul said like this, that you have to put off the old man and die to the old man and be renewed in your mind and put on the new man. So instead of dragging around this dead body, you ought to be celebrating the newness of life in Jesus Christ. If any man is in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Let the old you go. This for somebody in here today. <laughs> You've been holding on to the old you because you thought the old you made you who you are. You thought the old you made people like you. You thought the old you is the reason why people call you on the telephone and, and speak to you on the street. You thought that it was all the old you. It wasn't the old you. It was the common grace of God upon you that made the difference. And when you became a Christian, God said, I'm going to expand that grace so the people you thought you were attracting, you will attract even more to the cause of the kingdom and for the sake of the gospel. Come on, give God some praise here. So, so let the old you die. See, I want all the seeds in here to know that it's okay to be a seed. If we are seeds, remember the important work that a seed does. A seed is a producer. It changes the nature of its world because it undergoes a tremendous transformation. Now, here's the second thing that we can get out of this, this parable here. The second thing is small things can produce large results. Small things can produce large results. Look at verse 32. Jesus says this. He's talking about this mustard seed. He says, it is the smallest of all seeds, 79 one hundredths of an inch at its largest. But when it has grown, look at that. It is larger than all of the garden plants, and it even becomes a tree. How many times? Does the enemy tempt us into believing that our small contribution is insignificant in the grand scheme of things? How many times have you been sidetracked because you think that nobody is going to benefit from your little contribution? Some of us will not sing because we think our little voice won't make a difference in the choir. See, Satan's advantage is that he tricks us into thinking we are the only ones he manipulates regarding small contributions. He thinks us, he tricks everybody. His desire is to trick everybody that way, but we think it's only us that get tricked. But yet God says no. Satan tries to destroy, manipulate you into thinking that your contribution somehow is not important, no matter how small it is. When I was a boy, many years ago, I might add, <laughs> when I was a boy, 
in Sunday school, we used to sing this song, and it would, it would say, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This, and that word little, just jumps out at you. This little light of mine, I may not have anything but a pen light. But this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Everywhere I go, I'm going to let it shine. If you have only a pen light, I say to you, let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. So Jesus here tells him that though the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds, it produces the biggest tree in the garden. Do not despise your small contribution. Do not think you cannot affect big change by sharing the gospel with another person. How many people in here, by show of hands, have ever heard of the Apostle Paul? Amen. Do you know who discipled Paul? It was a reluctant fellow by the name of Ananias. Ananias said, I heard about Paul, God. I heard how he was tearing up Christians and killing them and all this kind of stuff, and you want me to go talk to him? God says, go down and see Paul because he prays now. And Ananias came and laid hands on Paul and, and discipled him, but we don't hear anything else about Ananias. Why? Because he was a seed that died to himself. God, I'm going to act on your word. I'm going to go and lay hands on Paul. I'm going to teach him and look at the fruit. Y'all ain't getting this. See, one day you just might share Christ with someone who will do great things. You don't know who you are sharing Christ with and what God's plan is for their life. Anybody ever heard of Billy Graham? Great evangelist, great preacher, thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people have come to the Lord under the ministry of Billy Graham. But did you ever hear of Edward Kimball? Who's Edward Kimball? Edward Kimball was the boy's Sunday school teacher who took a rambunctious group of little boys, and one of them was Billy Graham. And he shared Christ with them Sunday after Sunday, teaching those little boys about Jesus and look at the fruit of Edward Kimball. This starting to catch up with you, isn't it? <laughs> You see, we don't know who Edward Kimball is, but I can imagine that as Edward Kimball made his transition from earth to heaven, God knew who whatever Edward Kimball was. God knew that he had witnessed the gospel to Billy Graham, and in heaven there was a crown waiting on Edward Kimball. So you never know who you might touch that because of your work 
as a believer, your work as a believer, though you may think it to be small, though you may feel like you are alone, though you may have to work in the dark, though there are times when you have to search for much needed water in a dry place, your work is not insignificant when you tell other people about Jesus. You, as a seed, are growing this tree called the kingdom. You, as a seed, every time you die a little more to yourself, you are growing this great big tree called the kingdom of God. Jesus had 12 people, and one of them was not on the team. And yet, look What came from those 12? You are here today if you're a believer because somewhere in the history of the world, somewhere in the history of Christianity, if you go back far enough, somebody who walked with Jesus told somebody who told somebody else who told somebody else who told somebody else and eventually somebody told you about the goodness of the Lord and his gospel. So don't despise the smallness of your task. You don't have to be the headliner. You don't have to have your name up in lights. You don't have to be the one that They celebrate all the time. You don't have to be the one that's in great demand. You don't have to be the one that everybody calls upon. Just do what you do and don't despise what you do. Tell your coworker about Jesus. Tell the girl at the cashier that you check out at the grocery store, tell her about Jesus. Tell the manager on your job about Jesus. Tell the person in the street about Jesus. And remember this, while humanity may not call your name, God's got an angel that's up in heaven. And every time, You tell somebody about Jesus. I wish I had a witness or two here. He takes his pen and begins to scribe in the book and says, here's another one that they told. Here's another person that they told about Jesus. And when you get to heaven, the record will be opened and laid out for you. And you'll see how many people you told about the Lord. And so we have to understand that about, about being a seed. Don't despise your small work. Now, I'm done when I tell you this. Here's the last thing. What you produce, your product, will have opposition. Got to get that. As a seed, that which you birth, that which you produce, that which you grow will have opposition. Look at what verse 32 says again. It says, it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that, pay attention here, the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. 
Now, even though the tree of the kingdom is great, there are those who will get under its branches and oppose the purpose of the tree. Paul says it like this in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He says, I'm astonished. I can't imagine Paul often being astonished. But right here, he's astonished. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Here's what I want to get to. Look at verse 7. He says, not that there is another one. There is no other gospel. But there are some, watch this now, who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There's some folk in the tree that don't mean us any good. And if you're not saying amen, you might be one of them. I'm just, no, I'm just. (laughs) There are people that get near and sometimes even in the church that are actually opposed to the church. They are not on the team. They might have a uniform, but they're not really on the team. They might dress the part. They might talk the part, but they're not really on the team. And sometimes those people are those who are always against stuff. Every time some come, oh, no, we can't do it. No, no, I'm against that. Hey, let's look. No, I'm against that. Well, what do you think the church should be doing? Well, we all just meet on Sunday. No, that's not all that we're to do. It's hard to be light of the world when you're amongst other light. <laughs> It's it's hard to be the salt of the earth when you never leave the salt shaker. (laughs) Amen. And so so we are called to impact the world. So he says that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And I say, do not worry yourself about the opposition. Somebody, think about birds. Birds don't grow trees. Birds don't build trees, but they nest in trees. Somebody who never lifted a finger to help will try and nest in your tree. Somebody who doesn't love you or your Christ will try to nest in your tree. Somebody who is diametrically opposed to you as a person will try to nest in your tree. Don't worry about the opposition. Just keep on planting your small seeds. And as you plant yourself, remember That as they oppose you, so they oppose your Lord. The servant is never better than the master. And if Jesus was opposed, 
How much more do you think that we who are his children will be opposed? If they came for him, baby, they coming for you. They oppose Jesus. They oppose us. So where does that leave us? Even in the face of opposition. Remember, we have the seeds. The true seed. The true seed. The Bible says this. If any man does not have the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. We have the seed. The spirit of Christ is in us if you are a believer then the spirit of God is in you you have coded in you everything you need to do what God said do God himself put the seed of the word in our lives if you allow me to just use a little of my imagination this morning just for a minute I can think of God talking with himself. Now, see, when you're God, you can talk with yourself. Because in Genesis, he said, let us make man. And so he, he, he was talking with himself. I can just imagine that, that one day God was talking with himself in the counsel of himself. And, 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 and God was talking. He observed the sin-sick condition of the world. He looked at the world and how horribly sinful it was and how destructive sin had been in the world, how people, the crown jewel of his creation, their lives were literally being destroyed by the power and the effect of sin. He was talking with himself, and he said, I need to become a seed. I need to become a seed. And, 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 and he, he says, I'm, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to be the seed of a woman named Mary. I, I'm going to plant myself in her womb. And, and, and I'm going to grow as a human child. I'm going to be born into a world that I made. Now, come on, just think about that for a minute. I'm going to be born into a world I created. And as that seed of the woman, I'm going to grow, I'm going to nurture, and I'll, I'll get to a point in life where I'll begin a public ministry. And when I begin that public ministry, all I'm going to do is go around telling people that the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm going to tell people that they don't have to live as subject to sin and the destructive power that it contains. I'm going to give them a way back to me and the only way I can do that is I've got to defeat the power of sin and death because truly the wages of sin is death but I need to give them something else I need to give them another choice I need to give them life and so in order to give them life I've got to conquer death and so what I need to do is I need to pick up my cross I need to carry it all the way to Calvary I need to let them nail my hands and my feet and pierce me in the side I need to get to a moment where I feel like I've been abandoned. And even I'll cry out, Father, why have you forsaken me? 
I need to do this because the only way that I can produce the desired result is as a seed of a woman, I've got to die like a man. And when I die like a man, I'm going to get up like a savior. I wish I had somebody here. I'm going to die and rise again and overcome death and give them life. And so, I'll take myself and pay the price that they might live. I'll offer myself as the ransom so that they can get back to me, so that they can be restored, so that they can be the fruit of what started as a little seed in Mary's belly, that they can see that when a seed truly dies, it produces life, and my death will produce their Life, Come on, give God some praise in here today. Come on, give the Lord some praise. You can change your world. Be willing to be a seed that will die. Plant yourself and die to yourself and watch God produce glorious fruit in your 